Right. How are we this morning? Good. Good. Happy Easter. Oh, come on. Really? Happy Easter? Hey, there we go. Yeah. It's a celebration. It's supposed to be a happy time. Uh, before we start, I want to pray, and then and I'll tell you kind of how we'll move through today's sermon, what it's going to look like for us as a faith family. We're going to kind of recap last week for just a moment um, as we talked about Holy Week or Passion Week, and then we're going to uh, move into the cross. And I, I do want to take a little time and, and sit with the cross today to think about the cross, to contemplate the riches that come to us uh, from the cross, and then uh, we'll move into the resurrection. So those are kind of the three places we'll be together. Let's pray together. Father, you're the greatest of all time. God, you never change, you never waver, you never fail, you never back down. You are infinitely better than anything that we could ever experience here on this earth. But Father, I just confess, sometimes, Lord, we chase so many other things. God, Lord, we run to a million, uh, God, Lord, shiny trinkets and temporal pleasures, God, rather than running to the satisfier of our soul, namely you and you alone. So, Lord, I pray this morning as we dive into your word, God, Lord, and your word is a delight to sit with. God, we know that it's not just words on a page, God. It's not just paragraphs and phrases built into a book, God. It really is living and active and has something to say to us today. God, I pray as we read together and as we reflect on the scriptures, we reflect on the incredible gift that you gave, God. I pray that you would stir our affections, God, Lord, that you would do in us what we cannot do for ourselves. God, we beg you this morning, speak in a way that our eyes would be open, our ears would hear, and our hearts would receive all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, and everybody together said... Amen. If you are a guest, if you are hanging out with us this morning, I just want to personally say thank you so much uh, for, uh, for coming and being a part. I hope you have, um, hoping you're enjoying your time and, and feel welcome. We love you and we're glad that you're here. If you weren't here last week, uh, we kind of went through the week day by day. We went through Holy Week and we talked about on Sunday of last week how Jesus rode into town and it was the triumphal entry and they laid palm branches in the road and some people even laid their garments and Christ Jesus rides in and everyone's celebrating. They're even quoting the scriptures saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, look at the son of David, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Sunday was this day of celebration and then we moved to Monday where we said things changed dramatically. You know, on Monday, Jesus goes into the temple and he begins to flip tables and he, he makes these declarations. Hey, listen, you, you've made my father's house. This is supposed to be a house of prayer, but you've made it into a den of thieves. thieves. And Jesus kind of just flexes authority. And we talked about as we move from Sunday to Monday to Tuesday, how on Tuesday, Jesus begins to teach in the temple. He begins to unpack and he's challenged on multiple levels. His authority is challenged. His allegiance is challenged. Even his theological proficiency is challenged on Tuesday. And Jesus has an answer for everyone. And we said last week that when Jesus answered their arrogance, they were always shut up. Their mouths were always closed and they left silent. Because Jesus had all authority and all power. And then we moved from Tuesday into Wednesday. And on Wednesday, we said in Scripture, we don't have an account. There, there's this kind of quiet time. Wednesday is silent in Scripture, but what we know for sure is that in the silence, there was an incredible amount of scheming. As Judas had gone to sell out his Lord and his friend 
for 30 pieces of silver, which we said from the book of Exodus was the wage or the price of a slave. Judah sold his soul for the price of a slave. Then Thursday comes, and Thursday is the day that Jesus institutes communion with his disciples. Thursday was the day that Jesus went into the garden, had a long time with God, and prayed, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And Scripture says that he sweat great drops of blood. He was so overcame with, overcome with anxiety, knowing that he was about to absorb the wrath from God the Father that would be poured out on sin, the sin of humankind for all time. Nevertheless, Jesus stood up from that prayer and he was betrayed by his disciple. He was betrayed by Judas. And then we walked into Friday, where Jesus walked through six different trials. He was scourged and he was beat. All of his friends bail on him. And Jesus is left alone to suffer and die on the cross. And that's where we came up to that point yesterday, or, or last Sunday. Remember we said that in that moment, Scripture says that the sky turned dark and the veil in the temple was torn and the rocks even began to break apart. Everything went dark. And I'm here to tell you today, if that was the end of the story, it would be kind of a morbid story, right? It's not the end of the story, but I want to focus for just a few minutes together on the cross. What was accomplished there? Why is the cross significant to Christianity? Why is the cross significant in your life? And why is the cross significant in my life? Why do we honor a cross? Hear this. Josephus, the Jewish historian, called crucifixion the most wretched of deaths. It was reserved for the vilest offenders who were guilty of treason or other, others whose society had rejected, such as slaves and the poor. This was a horrific scene in which the offender was fixed to a cross by either ropes or nails, and he would hang there until he asphyxiated, until his body shut down and he drowned in his own blood, essentially, in his lungs. It's graphic, right? He could no longer breathe, no longer push himself up, and it usually took three to six hours. It was this agonizing death. It was so agonizing and so interesting in itself that there was no word really to be attached to it. They think, is that a bad death? And somebody might have said, no, bad's not a good word to use here. So they created a word, excruciating. And excruciating literally means from the cross. The death that our Savior died on our behalf for you and for me was so incredible and so weighty that there was a word created for just the death. So you say, TJ, what in the world is the cross about? Why are you bringing the cross up now? Like it's Easter, right? Like we're about to celebrate. Just hold your horses. We're going to get there. I want you to see the cross with me. I want you to hear this. The cross is where brutality was poured out on Christ so that healing could be poured out on you and I. Did you hear that this morning? The cross is where the brutality of God's wrath was poured out on Jesus so that God's healing could be poured out on you and I. The cross is where God in Christ authored our healing. Listen to this, Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. I don't know about you, but that pumps me up. We are healed in Christ. And I believe it reaches into every single one of our lives and emotionally and physically. 
spiritually. He can and will heal us. And he went to the cross. Scripture says, by his wounds we are healed. And you might be saying this morning, TJ, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know the emotional train wreck that has been my life. You don't know the baggage that I I carry in my life, TJ. How can you say this? Listen, I have no idea about your baggage or your emotional distress this morning. But what I do know is that every single bit of it was paid for on the cross of Calvary. Every bit. Christ redeems you on the cross. Not only emotionally, but physically as well. By his wounds we are healed. I do believe we still serve a God who on the cross gave us access into the kingdom of God. We no longer go through a priest or some preacher. It's not what I'm here for. You have a unique personal relationship with the God of all creation. Because of what Christ did on the cross, the veil was torn. Therefore, you can walk into the presence of God. You can go into your prayer closet. You can pray right now. And God the Father hears you. Man. So he heals us emotionally and physically. But the greatest of all and essentially the most important thing that he did on the cross, the most important healing that he poured out was our spiritual healing. See, Scripture says that you and I were dead in our sin. We were absolutely dead in our sin. With no ability to save ourselves, no amount of sacrifices, no amount of tithes, no amount of Sunday school teaching or church attendance could could rid rid us of our sin problem. None of it. But Christ on the cross, when he absorbed the wrath of God in your place, he poured out on you spiritual healing. Man, listen to this. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. By his wounds we are healed. You have emotional, physically, physical, and spiritual healing this morning. All because of the cross. The cross is also where Jesus pummeled sin and Satan forevermore. This might be one of my favorite points about the cross. And I use the word pummeled intentionally because Jesus just train wrecked the enemy and his plans. Jesus... By surrendering his life, not having his life taken it from him, but laying his life down for the sheep like he said he was going to do, pummeled sin and Satan and their power forevermore. Listen to Colossians 2, 13-15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands, that he set aside, nailing it to the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Can somebody say amen? Oftentimes we see pictures of the crucifixion or pictures of Jesus in this this frail idea. This wimp of a guy who I guess was... Leveled off because people overthrew him. The reality is is that in the moment that Jesus surrendered his life to the cross, having all authority and all power to stop the process of the crucifixion, he leveled the power of Satan and sin. He leveled it. You say, well, TJ, what does that mean? Why is that important? Because there was a penalty to be defeated. See, because of our sin, there was a penalty Level against humankind, mankind. 
And the penalty was death. We were spiritually dead and headed for a tormented eternity where we would live out the consequence of sinning against a holy God. I mean, think about that. There was a penalty for the sin in our life. And we were on a road without Christ. We're on a road that is headed to live out the consequences of our sins separated from a holy God. But then Jesus came along, right? And when he pummeled sin and the power of Satan on the cross, he paid the penalty for you. He paid your sin debt. That means that when you and I place our faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone, He absorbs that penalty and gives you righteousness, gives you hope, gives you a future and a freedom. The penalty was defeated forevermore and the power was defeated. This is beautiful to me when I think about what Christ did on the cross. The grip of sin is no longer the dominating voice in our life. See, Christ triumphed on the, cro- on the cross. Christ triumphed over sin. That means that you and I, because the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in us, because Christ went to the cross, you and I have the power of Christ living in us. Do you know what that means? That that voice in our head or in our heart or in our insecurities or our past that says you're worthless and you're nothing and you can't? That addiction or that struggle or that emotional or physical or spiritual wrestle that we've been with, we now have the opportunity because Christ defeated sin. You and I have the opportunity to look at the baggage in our life and look at the sin in our life, look at the hurts and the habits and the hang-ups and all these different things and be able to point in the power of Christ and say, you don't own me anymore. No matter what sin we wrestle with, because of what Christ Jesus did on the cross, we can point to those things and remind them that they have no power. Christ, when Christ went to the cross, it triumphed over the power of sin and gave us power in Him. The cross is also the place where Christ did the incredible work of reconciliation all by Himself. You and I weren't at the cross except for our sin being the one nailing Him there. Christ Jesus carried out the work of reconciliation all by Himself. Second. Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There was this chasm between you and God. Between me and God. And see, you've often seen it this way, where, where the cross was this bridge that God used so that man could get to God. Anybody ever seen a painting like that or a picture or idea? heard it said that way, that like the bridge was the cross, the thing that made it possible for us to get to God. That's not true. The cross was the instrument of death that God used so that He could come to man. See, every other religion in the world would bid you to come, do work for your God, earn His acceptance and approval. But God the Father came, died on a cross so that He could kneel down. He could walk across the bridge that He Himself built and pick you up. Scripture says that He conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. You know what that means? That He picked us up in the midst of our sin, like Scripture says. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's not some out-of-the-way God sitting on a throne saying, come on, get your stuff together and come and find my approval. No, it's an incredible God who came to earth, died on a cross, and knelt down in His goodness, scooped us up out of our sin and our depravity, and carried us back into His kingdom. That's the Jesus we serve. And that's what happened on the cross. 
He built the bridge. He crossed the bridge. He picked us up in the sorriness of our sin, and he carried us home. That's the Savior that we serve. As incredible as the cross is, the cross isn't the centerpiece of our affection. Jesus is. Because listen, this next part of the story, the good part, when the lights turn back on, remember last week everything was dark. Christ had died. If it had just stayed there, Jesus would not have been much different than a lot of other teachers or leaders. He would have just been another man. But what happens next in the story is the thing that rocked all of mankind for all time. It's the thing that sets Jesus apart from every other good teacher or every other leader or every other emperor or every other anything. It's the thing that makes Jesus stand alone. And it's the resurrection. Go with me to Mark chapter 16. We'll read Mark chapter 16, 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go go and anoint him. And very early in the first day of the week when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us for the entrance to the tomb? And looking up, they saw him. And they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. Listen, all of our Christianity, all of our love for God hangs on those words. He is risen. Amen? Woo! Pumps me up. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But listen what he says. But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee where you will see him just as he told you. They went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to no one for they were afraid. Listen, I I want you to understand this morning that on the Christ, God accomplished on the cross in Christ. God accomplished some of the most incredible things in the world. Our justification, our healing. But in the resurrection, he established a reassurance of victory. See, we, we can follow whoever we want. We can look back in time and, and find their grave mark or find the suggested place where they were buried. But Christ Jesus, every time that we think, man, is he really who he says he is? Is he really the loving father that he says he is? Is he really the good shepherd? You know what we get to look back together at? An empty grave. And in that grave, he gives us reassurance of victory. Listen, Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When Christ Jesus rose from the grave, you know what he put an exclamation point on? All the times that he said, hey, I am who I say I am. In that moment when Jesus raised from the grave, when the tomb was empty, everything that he said was not only sweet and endearing and good and theologically sound, but in that moment, everything was established as true and true forevermore. When Christ emerged from the grave, He did not do so with an empty hand. Revelation 17, 1, 17 through 17-18 says, When I saw Him, I fell at His feet as though dead. 
But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys to death and Hades. I have the keys to death and hell. There we can boldly stand and say in 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 57, O death, where is your sting? O death, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gave us the victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't know about you, but this morning I know that we live in the shadow of an empty cross and in the echo of an empty grave. We've been given victory forevermore. And Jesus establishing that he was yesterday, today, and forever, that he was exactly who he says he is, means for us absolute victory. We no longer have to live or walk in shame or fear or doubt or rejection. We no longer have to walk in condemnation. The cross, the resurrection for us means there's absolute victory. For just a second. I want to share it with you like this. I said the verse to you in Hebrews 13:8, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And being that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that means for us absolute victory. Because the King of the universe rose from the dead. Psalm 103:12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so does He remove our transgressions for us. Listen, when He rose, He rose as the God over our yesterdays. Meaning that every sin, every habit, every shortcoming, every failure that you and I would ever walk into, that He was the God over that. That He would, by His grace, remove our sin as far as the east is from the west. You say, TJ, I really want to come to Jesus. I really, I really feel Him draw my heart. I really want to surrender. But man, what about all this stuff in my yesterday? Man, what maybe even yesterday, right? Maybe this morning when somebody cut me off and tried, like, Jesus, I have all these things. Would Jesus really love me with my history, the history that I have, the, the past that I have? Would Jesus really want me and redeem me and use me? Listen to what Watchman Nee says. Our old history ends with the cross. Our new history begins with the resurrection. Do you hear me this morning? No matter what our sin or shame or celebration or success, it's all wrapped up in, a glory, in the glorious grace of God and covered by His blood. Your history washed away, given a new name and a new life and a new identity in Christ. He's the same yesterday, but He's also the same today. That means that that, that power, that resurrection power that lived in Jesus... When the thief on the cross in, in Luke 23, 42 through 43, he looked at him and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, did Jesus say, give me a little while to sort things out? <laughs> did he? Give me a little while to establish this whole me sitting on the right hand of the Father thing. And my, let me establish my divinity in the spiritual world for a while and I'll get back with you. No, you know what he said? Today. Today you will be with me in paradise. Today. And I want you to hear me today, church. Not only is God the God of your yesterday, not only will he redeem and clean and bring you into his grace, all of your yesterdays swept up in him, you're today. Right where you are. No matter what you've been through, your today is in Christ. 
Today could be your day that you say, you know what? I know that you're Jesus. I know you're the Savior. I know you're the King. Here I am. I surrender. You know what his reply will be? Today. Today you're a new creation. Today you're transferred from a slave to a son. Today, no longer a slave to fear and death. Now a son and daughter of the King. Today. And the last one. When he raised from the grave, not only was he established, everything that he said was established as true, it was validated. He became the God of yesterday, today, and forever. And in John 14, I want you to hear this. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. I know you hear me say that a lot. But in John 14, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If we're not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you with me so that where I am, you may be also. See, not only is Jesus the Savior and the Lord over our past and over our history, not only is He absolute, the absolute victor in our today, but He is the only one in all the universe that said everything that He said, established Himself in God, and gave you and I a hope for eternity that could be secured in Him. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Would you call on Him to be your Savior? The Savior of your yesterday? The Savior of your today? And a Savior in which you can trust and be secure that your eternal, your eternal life is secure in His hands? I'm going to ask you this question, then we're going to wrap up. Do you know Him? Do you know Him? Do you know the one who loves to redeem our sin? See, a lot of us, we don't, we don't come to God for um, multiple reasons. or, or We, we kind of divorce our relationship with Him sometimes because we think that, man, God really doesn't want to hear my sin. God really doesn't want to hear my repentance. He, I, I'm, I'm probably annoying. I am just keep coming back with the same sin over and over, the same wrestle, the same struggle. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm the Savior of your history. I'm the Savior of your past. I want to hear your repentance today. And I want you to know that your eternity is secure forevermore because you've placed your faith and your trust in me and me alone. That's his heart for his church. So my question is simple. Do you know the risen Savior? Do you share life with the victor? Do you know that you're a victor? Let's pray. Father, Truly, you have given us victory in the cross. God, you overcame so much on the cross. You freed us from our sin on the cross. But God, Lord, you have given assurance in the resurrection that you are who you say you are. And we believe today that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, God. So the same grace and same mercy that you pour on us yesterday will be here today and there forevermore. So God, I pray. God, I pray if there be anyone here today that doesn't know you, hasn't submitted their life to you, God, Lord, that you would give the boldness to simply repent right where they are, God. God, Lord, that they would just say, God, here I am. Save me. Remind the believers in the room today, God, Lord, that we're victors. 
You did the work all by yourself. You picked us up and carried us into your kingdom, not because we were good or because we were holy or because we were righteous, but because you were good and you were holy and you were righteous. God, there'll never be a day that you accept us or reject us based on our performance, God. Lord, you accept us right now because of what Christ did on the cross. So Lord, we just say we love you. Help us to know you in Jesus' name. Amen.